Welcome to a community of students, teachers, and preachers who are on a journey to teach the Bible in a manner that serves and builds the church of both today and tomorrow. Join us as we go behind the scenes to learn from established teachers whose unique stories will inspire you to take action to better prepare, better communicate, and better equip the church. This is the Better Bible Class Podcast. Today we have Nick Westberg with us. Nick is associate minister, and is associate the right term to use? Or? Associate minister is what they call me. So explain a little bit of the, the associate minister role. Kind of got my hands dipped in every kind of ministry you could possibly think of. Uh, I'm not really set towards one, you know, one group of people or one specific thing. I do a little bit of everything. I preach. I teach. I work with youth. I work with old people. I work with the community. I work in the community constantly, you know, working to, you know, do what I can. Really, it's an intern position, but being here has helped me grow a lot. So an intern, that'd be like, I mean, historically, interns are plugged into a company or an organization for a short period of time just to kind of broaden their experiences and learn the ropes. Is this like a three, six-month program? No, it's like a two-year program. Been here for the last two years, got hired uh, actually about 10 minutes down the road. I'm going to start working as the youth and family minister in Tulare in January. Uh, I'm excited for that. Also a little nervous because I don't think I've ever worked in youth and family ministry. I've always kind of been the utility guy. I don't know how that'll change the way I see my ministry. It'll be interesting to see, to say the least. So what will be the the focus of the youth and family minister? The focus of the, well, youth and family. Well, families, really. You don't get the families, you don't get the kids. You don't get the youth. Um, So you have to focus on the families, building families, building family leadership in order to get the families to lead their children. I think oftentimes that's a step, that's a place we miss maybe, uh, is we focus so much on youth, the youth minister, that we miss out on the opportunities to lead families. Having things where we can get families together, you know, people with young children, people with teenagers, people with uh, tweeners, uh, people of all different age groups, getting them together and working together so that we can build a strong family base within the church. What are some of the strategies you're bouncing around to be able to do that? Uh, I'll tell you one thing. It's it's all about building relationships. It's a vital element. Ministry is all about relationships. If you can't, I mean, you look at anybody who's been successful in their ministry and you ask them why they're successful, they may not say those exact words, but that is the exact reason that they're as successful as they are is their relationships, not only with their teachers, with their instructors, but with the people within their congregation. You alone are not successful by yourself. It's the relationships. And so I know our focus here is talking about Bible class and how to improve our Bible classes and grow the church, strengthen the church through Bible classes. And so I'm interested on on this relationship concept. Where have you found success with your relationships uh, and teach class? Because you you do teach class on a regular basis. Teaching is not about you know, look at me, look at me. It's about helping you grow and helping them grow. Um, it's a mutual feed. It's not just about, well, you know, I'm the teacher, you're the student. Listen to what I say and listen to what I say and do what I say. No, it's about how can we build on a relationship? Look, I have something you need to help you grow in your relationship with Jesus. So how can I help you do that? And you look for ways to strengthen you're teaching through the relationships that you have with people. So that means spending time outside of Wednesday night and Sunday morning. 
I've had the opportunity to get to know you and work with you and spend time with you, mainly because I really like your wife and you have a really cute little baby girl. Through the time it's been with you, I've just been amazed with your ability to have kind of these one-on-one conversations with people on kind of like that personal evangelism level. And it shows your ability to build those relationships. Do you use your relationships to help facilitate a formal class or do you kind of use a formal class to facilitate relationships? What is the connection? I think first I want to just say that teaching one-on-one and teaching in a classroom are two different things. They're two different animals, in in my opinion. Teaching one-on-one, you know, it's like we're sitting here having a conversation about how to build a better Bible class. You know, if I was to do this in a classroom setting, I'd be looking for more of a looking for more of a um, a broad view as to how I was going to do that. So, how am I going to teach you how to have a better? Well, now we're just spitballing ideas back and forth. But one-on-one teaching is the process of building that relationship. You notice churches that are successful in baptizing people, teaching people. It's because they're of their ability to, or their leader's ability, or their leader's emphasis on building relationships, even if he doesn't use that very same terminology. The reason that a congregation grows the way it grows is because they're in the community building relationships with people. So it kind of goes back to that adage that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Let's shift gears a little bit. Let's talk about your class because you have you have a wide experience. And then also, I mean, we've been able to teach a couple classes together. Uh, and I've been impressed with your kind of big picture approach, but your depth of knowledge so give us a little bit of your background. How, how have you gotten to this point in your walk as a, as a Christian? Well, I didn't grow up in the church. That's for one. That automatically gives me a different perspective inside how, how I look at the Bible is much different than, say, somebody who's grown up their whole life hearing it. Uh, for me, it's fresh. It's new. It's still new. You know, I learn something new every time I pick up that book. Constantly observing new things and started out, you know, I didn't know anything. Um, two years after I became Christian, I went to school. Mary, my wife went to school. How did the school, this experience, help you get to to this point? We study books as a whole, not necessarily, you know, certain or particular passages like you would in a in a conservative church setting. And I want to know why. You know, so you go back and you start studying context and you start looking at the whole picture. Awesome. And I know that describe some of the best classes or most memorable classes during school uh, and what set those classes apart. Oh man. So when I went to school, I didn't know anything. I, I never taught a, I'd never taught a formal Bible class in my life before I went to school. You know, I'd preached sermons before, uh, but I had never attempted to teach class because I was always afraid that I was going to get something wrong. Now I had friends, I had a buddy who was converted not long after me and he just jumped right in there and did stuff. And I was like, you know, I don't feel like I'm qualified to to do that. I don't feel like I'm qualified to jump in and say, yeah, I'm going to teach this Bible class that I have nothing, know nothing about and that I don't feel comfortable and that the fact that I, if I say something wrong, I'm going to get in trouble. So when I went to school, you know, we had these classes that would teach us, you know, okay, you know, study context, understand context determines meaning. Um, context will tell us what the writer's talking about. He will explain within his book what you know, he wants you to know. So we get to this teaching strategies class with Michael Height. And that was really a formative class for me that I had that my senior year. Uh, And the reason that they put it at the end was because they wanted the guys to have a fresh understanding of exegesis and contextual studies before they just threw you in and said, here, teach this class. One of the things that I feel like was most memorable was 
the card trick that Michael Height showed. And I could exp- I could explain it to you. It's really, in essence, it's teaching by elimination. So imagine an upside-down triangle, right? At the bottom of that triangle, you have one singular point. And to get to that singular point, you have to eliminate the different points within to get to that one main idea. So the idea is discovery learning, not to say, here's all the answers, because that doesn't engage anybody. But asking questions that drive people to your point of the class, not necessarily just saying, here, here's what I want you to know. Here's a lecture. Here's a, you know, here's a piece of information that you have to know because information is so prevalent today. I can get any information anywhere. I can go on Google and Google things about the Bible. If I wanted to know something, I could just Google it. If I force somebody to learn it for themselves by my facilitation, it's going to stick with them more than me just telling them, giving them information. You're essentially saying that this class was so successful or so memorable in your mind because the teacher was able to guide you to the conclusion that's there. With Bible classes, how how do you set up your Bible classes to, to guide your students to the conclusion that the author, in this case, of the book is making? Not necessarily one that you're making, but right. one that the author is making. So I think, I think too, it depends what I'm teaching. If we're working through a book, uh, I'm going to look for the clues within the book that give me insight into cultural references, you know, things like that. They're going to help me understand through the eyes of the Eastern writers, what they were seeing and what they were experiencing. Cause we kind of put a filter over, you know, we have a Western filter over Eastern writings, you know, the way that they say things and said things and meant things are different than the way that we say things and mean things and, you know, meant things. Um, and the translators, I mean, did a wonderful job because I couldn't do it any better. And truthfully, I couldn't, I couldn't do it at all. You know, we can go and nitpick and pull apart the Greek, but really uh, it's about, really it's about finding the, the way they saw things. How do we take what they saw and put it into ways that people can understand? Okay. So you're working with teenagers, right? Teenagers, they have, they are constantly on the go. There is no time where, you know, they're going to want to sit and listen to a long lengthy lecture about the apostle Paul in his on the road to Damascus. So how do you keep them engaged? Well, you ask them questions. You have a point, right? You have a main point, a main idea, a main thought that you want to get to, that you want them to uh, understand. And that point is derived from what you studied in the text. So doing proper exegesis, marking key words, uh, marking phrases, connecting links and dots within the text, within the context of what you're teaching, and then allowing that to show you what the author's point is, and then figuring out a way to communicate that to people. And the the faster, the more efficient uh, or the more effective you can do that, the more successful you'll be as a teacher. That's my opinion. I'm going to shift gears a little bit. What would you describe as been the favorite class that you've taught or the time where you have feel like you've really connected with the audience that has made a big difference? Man, my favorite class that I taught actually was probably when I taught the Gospel of Mark back in 2017, 2018. It took me a year and a half to get through that book. I really focused heavily on 
emphasizing what Mark was emphasizing. Because Mark is very fast-paced. It's different from Matthew. Matthew's, you know, he's kind of methodical in the way that he puts together the text and tells the story about Jesus because he's trying to reach a particular audience. Well, Mark's doing the same thing, but he's trying to reach a Roman audience. Uh, he's trying to reach a group of young young Roman Christians who are used to the entertainment industry, much like our culture today. We're very fast-paced. Uh, and then Luke is, you know, kind of long and drawn off. He, he has a lot of philosophy. You know, he focuses on the detail because Greeks were very detailed people. They want to know all the details. Well, why is this so? Because their, their pagan gods and things like that would have, would have pulled them into needless detail. Uh, and so Mark spends time digging into history and forcing them to dig into history because he wants them to get the point of Jesus' life. And then John, of course, we would say is the spiritual the spiritual gospel, or that's what Tacitus would say. There was the spiritual gospel because John has a lot of symbolism and he writes to an older, more mature group of Christians between the years of 96 and 101 AD. So my point in all saying all that is that, uh, you know, when you study the book in its context, um, it brings to life what the writer's trying to put forth, uh, what he's trying to get you to understand. And so you mentioned that Mark was your, your favorite class yeah. that you taught. It took an, a year and a half. Yeah. So how, how were you able to maintain the attention span uh, of the audience? And then what was like the major take-homes that you remember driving with the class? Again, Mark is very, you know, he's not somebody who dilly-dallies around. Uh, he gets right to the point, starts the book off going right into John the Baptist, calling Jesus uh, the son of God right off the bat. He wants you to know something. He wants you to understand something. That our conclusion at the end is going to be that this is that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But let me start with that, so when we get to the end, you can understand what that means. Um, but I, I think I was more inspired because when I went through school, um, that was one of the books that uh, well, Michael Height had taught. He was very influential on, on on my teaching and the way that I saw things and the way that I look at things because he just. Uh, I felt like in a lot of ways, uh, he, he got, he got me, you know, you can say that about some people, they get you, hey, that guy gets me, you know, that guy, that guy understands where I'm coming from and what I'm trying to, you know, what I'm trying to do. But Mark was very inspirational. Uh, I would teach it again. So you've mentioned Michael Hyatt a couple of times. Yeah. So, so who is this guy? Mike, Michael, who is this guy? That's, who is this guy? Who is this guy? Well, uh, you, you met him a little bit, uh, last year when we, when he came to the youth forum, but, uh. Michael Hyde is a, an instructor at the Bear Valley Bible Institute. The guy's incredible in design, a super good artist, and a very good, logical, and easy-to-understand Bible teacher. It doesn't go over your head, but when he starts explaining structure and context, you're going, oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, that's easy. Yeah, that's, oh, man, I don't know why I didn't understand that before. Very much on an intellectual level, um, but phenomenal teacher, inspirational uh, in every sense of the word, and that's why I chose that's why I say I'll, I keep dancing around this idea, but that's why I chose the gospel of Mark because I was inspired by his telling of the story of Mark to tell the story of Mark to other people. You, you mentioned that he kind of brought the class down to, to your level to, to focus it, target it on you. Is that an important aspect of a successful Bible class or a better Bible class in your opinion? You know, you got to meet people where they are. I think that's an important concept too. Is like I said, like we mentioned at the beginning, you know, relationships, this idea of relationships, you You've got to, you've got to bring it down on the level because sometimes, you know, uh, and I don't know if this is just a preacher thing, but sometimes you get so deep into the text that it just, the way you understand something is 
so complex that when you try to put it into words, people go, huh? <laughs> you know? And, you know, especially when you get into, you know, Greek words and culture and trying to put all that together to try to help people understand it, sometimes difficult because people don't read Greek. You know, maybe you can tell them, well, here's what the word, here's what the word means. Here's where you can go look it up for yourself. But, uh, you know, a lot of people aren't interested in the Greek language um, other than people who are, you know, dire students of the word. Uh, those are the ones who are interested in, well, I want to understand how this phrase was used with this phrase and how this word was picked and why it was picked and why it was used and what point it's emphasizing within the book that I'm reading. So you are a very passionate preacher. What do you prefer? Because uh, I I mean, I've talked to some other folks who they have a preference on if they preach or if they would teach. What, what would you go for? Man, I like to I like to do both. Um, I just don't want to do too much of either one. So I don't want to do too much preaching. I don't want to do much too much teaching. I want to balance uh, in my life. I like to preach. Uh, I think that's probably what I'm better at when I, when I would say, you know, p- between preaching and teaching, I'd say that's what for a long time it was. Yeah, I was better at uh, <laughs> was better at teaching because uh, it just came more naturally. Uh, but as I've studied and worked through uh, some different things and grasped the, the science behind preaching, it's become a lot easier. Uh, for me, and actually more favorable favorable uh, in the last few years that I've been here. So how do you, when you're preparing for a sermon versus a Bible class, or a Bible class versus a sermon, how does your preparation differ? Preparation as in study, as in putting together notes, as in understanding your audience, is it under the same practice as a, a sermon versus a, a Bible class? As far as the text study goes, yes. As far as how I'm Presenting the material, no, they're two completely different, uh, two completely different animals. Um, preaching, you're trying to get, you're trying to get a message across very quickly. In a class, you're, you know, you're trying to take, you're trying to move through the text, but you're taking more time to move through the text and asking questions and forcing people to learn it for themselves. Preaching, you're kind of just, uh, you're kind of, it's more like a lecture. Um, you're lecturing, but figuring out how to be an engaging lecture. I don't, you know, really, I couldn't tell you the difference between a lecture and preaching um, because to me, they seem like the same thing. Like when I get up there and and teach a class, sometimes I can get a little preachy. Teaching is different. I I like small group teaching. I don't like big, I don't like big auditorium setting teaching. I don't think people learn that way. Uh, I don't think big auditorium classes are effective. I would prefer, you know, smaller classes between 10 and 15 people you know, where I could sit in a chair just like them, we could go around the room reading scripture and talking about what's in the text. Rather than me standing out behind a podium and lecturing at people, uh, I think it's more effective if I sit down and have a conversation with them. In your, your small group setting, would you have a preference on a, a formal classroom or like by a, on a pond or a lake with the fishing rod in your hand? Ponder a leg with a fishing rod in my hand? That would be cool. I wouldn't mind doing I wouldn't mind teach, sitting on the grass and teaching and talking with people. Um, if I, if I had it my way, I would split people into their own demographics. So, you know, again, like we put teenagers with teenagers, young adults with young adults, you know, people in their thirties and with people in their thirties and forties, people in their, you know, and, and you keep the demographics together because then you have, then you're not trying to shotgun teach 10 different age groups. You're focused on one age group of people. Um, and that allows you to be more dynamic and more pointed with people who are going to college are going through things that are much different than people who are in their thirties. 
Uh, Even people who are 27 are going through much different things than people who are in their mid thirties. You know, it's just a much different, it's, it's a much different dynamic. You're dealing with different things than I am um, going through the different stages of life. And so you'll be more effective in teaching if you put your demographics together. So when you have your people broken up into your class section, how do you prepare the text? How do you prepare your class if you're teaching towards like an elementary middle school age versus mixed ones that have young families and old families? Well, level of knowledge. I mean, I think you have to, I think you have to look at people's level of knowledge and go, okay, well, where are they at on the spectrum? Because we talked about meeting people where they are. That's the most important thing. You know, you get a new convert that comes in and sits in an adult class He's not going to have the same knowledge as somebody who's been a Christian for the last 30 years. You know, somebody who's been a Christian for a week or a day is not going to have the same amount of understanding. So you have to put them with their their demographic. Maybe start them off in a, you know, what we call a new converts class or, you know, or we stick them in their own demographic. You know, you have a 30s and 40s group and the person that you convert is in their 30s and 40s. You stick them with that, with that group or those several groups that are meeting uh, together to, you know, try to help each other grow and build relationships. Um, I'm all about, I'm all about small group settings. Um, you know, cause I think that's where people learn and grow the best. So you, you mentioned the benefit of breaking up a, a larger group into smaller ones and that are going through the, the similar situations. So these class sections, why do we not do that more? We'll break the kids up pretty well. Uh, but then we just have the adult class. So, so what is one of the things in, in your opinion on why we don't break an adult class up into to smaller groups? It's uh, easier. It's easier just to lump them all together than just than to have to try to find more teachers to teach different age groups of people. So it's a lack of teachers. Uh, well, I think I think that's part of it. I don't think that's all of it. The other side of it is well, when you come, you know, it's like a coming of age type of thing. You turn 18, 19, you automatically remove from the teen class and you go to the adult class, and then you well, just fall away from the church. Oh yeah. I mean, I'll I'll tell you something. You know, unless you're you know uh, a self starter and you can you can maintain your spiritual life and find what you need and get what you need and not have somebody facilitate that. That uh, is very difficult to maintain that line as, as you come out of the, as you come out of the youth group. Now, of course, I don't know what it's like coming out of the youth group. All I can tell you is what I've seen um, when it comes to, you know, growing up in the church, you know, my wife grew up in the church. She was the one that brought me to Jesus. And I'll tell you what, she, <laughs> she has changed my mind on a lot of things and I have changed her mind on a lot of things uh, as I've kind of studied and grown, I, again, I, like I said at the beginning, you know, gr- not growing up in the church automatically gives you a different perspective on scripture. So that's why, you know, I always encourage my students and I, and I know you do too. dig into it for yourself. Don't just take what I said, dig into it for yourself. If I'm wrong, come tell me. And if I don't know the answer, I'm going to say I'm wrong. I say, I don't know. If you're a good teacher, you say, if somebody asks you a difficult question, you say, I don't know. I don't know. The text doesn't tell me. I don't know. I haven't studied that. I don't know. There's there's no way I would have seen that in the passage or whatever, you know, the question is. As we wrap up, you're going to be starting a new position as this youth and family minister. How are you mentally preparing to start a, a class and how are you going to use that class to meet the objective of both yourself and, and the eldership of this new congregation? Really what I'm going to try to do is build leadership in the youth and try to get them to step up. My objective is, is simple. You know, I want to teach them to, I want to, I want to teach them the text so that they can fall in love with Jesus. You know, if they fall in love with Jesus, then, then there's, then you don't really have to convince them to do much else. You know, we get so focused on academically teaching the text that we forget to teach people to fall in love with Jesus. 
you know, that we forget the, the, why we're teaching the story we're teaching. Why are we telling people the story of Jesus? We get so wrapped up that we miss the entire point of these, these letters, you know, when they're writing, it's like, look, these people, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they were all in love with Jesus. That's why they wrote these stories. They had no reason to lie about it. Christians were being persecuted and killed in the first century. Why in the world would they write these stories about Jesus if, if they knew they were just going to be killed because of them? So my whole point is, you know, if you can, it doesn't take very much convincing for to get somebody to do something or move in a certain direction. If you convince them that Jesus is for them. Show them that Jesus loves right. them. Right. If I could sum up teaching in, in three words, is teach people to fall in love with Jesus in five words. Or I don't know. I didn't count. So eight words. And that was pretty good. Okay. So, you know, but that's what I'm saying. If you can teach people to do that. So how, how do we teach people to your simple eight word solution, fall in love with Jesus? My theory is you got to tell them the story of Jesus in a way that they can understand. If I focus so much on these tiny sections within the book and pulling principles that I miss the entire picture, I'm missing the entire point of the book. The entire point of the book of, of any book is not to focus on one little section of scripture, but to focus on the entire picture. And that's what you have to do with Jesus too is you have to be so familiar with the life of Jesus that you can tell the story in such a way that people begin to be excited and enthused by what he did and what he does. There's our challenge, folks. <laughs> Plain and simple. Teach people to fall in love with Jesus. Uh, it's an easy concept, but it's definitely a challenge and one that I think we are all up for. Thank you for joining us on our journey to build the church of both today and tomorrow through Better Bible Class. As you work on bettering your Bible classes, please share with us what successes you've had or what challenges you've had to overcome at BetterBibleClass.com. And if you have found value in today's episode, please subscribe and share it with one person right now via text or email. Again, send your questions and comments to us at BetterBibleClass.com and continue to join us on our mission to strengthen the church of both today and tomorrow by teaching a better Bible class. Bop, 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 bop,